What is up, guys? Welcome to the Reborn Podcast. I am here with my special co-host today, Mr. Andrew Stallings, who is my agent, manager, and friend. Uh, He is down from Connecticut visiting Virginia Beach, and so I thought it'd be perfect to bring him on here uh, as my co-host today. And if you have not listened to part one of this two, possibly three-part series, you need to back up and you need to go listen to part one for everything that we're getting ready to talk about in part two to make sense. So go back and listen to that. Um, If you did listen to part one, then I know that you're really anxious to hear the rest of the story and for us to dive in. But first, we got to do happy hour and we are doing um, one of the staple whiskey drinks, the whiskey cocktail. We are going to do a Jack and Coke um, here at American Brew. So it's a very difficult recipe. You get a cup of ice and you open up a Coke. You pour that in your cup of ice. If it's a red solo cup, it's better. So Fill I got that a, up. So I got a question. Yes, sir. Why do you put the Coke in before the liquor? Because I want my liquor on top and I want to get... Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. I don't uh, know, actually. Some some people have methods oh, to their really? madness. I don't, yeah. They do. I'm not really a big, like, Jack and Coke person. I mean, um, I, I'm anything. I like it, but I, I uh, over, over the years since I, you know, I have a coffee whiskey bar, I have learned to really appreciate whiskey. So I enjoy, plus I, I also, whenever I drink the whiskeys just by themselves, I feel like I'm learning as well. So when people are like, why are you just sitting there drinking whiskey? I'm like, well, I'm actually learning right now. This is, I'm educating myself. I'm working because I'm learning about whiskeys for my whiskey bar. Where, where did your passion for whiskey come from? I I'm never curious. had a passion for whiskey. So, so I why? never even really had whiskey until I opened up a coffee whiskey bar. So was it just like, okay, the coffee element is going to go there. My margins are going to be better with alcohol. Focus yep. on just one main liqueur. Yep. Well, wow. <laughs> well, I wanted it to be like, I don't know, like coffee and whiskey, like kind of go together. I yeah. don't really know of like, um, you hear of like coffee, whiskey, like there's, there's songs about it. So I thought it'd be a good idea to, wow. not, Th- these that are, was my business plan. <laughs> these are what goes in, go into Ashley Horner's business plan. In case anybody, it's like there's a song written about it. It's gotta be successful. Ever wondered where the food trucks and the like books that you wrote and just like how it all comes to be from a business perspective. It's as simple as I heard it on Spotify. <laughs> Yeah, that, basically. That's that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, Flo Rider writes a song about it or something, then it's got to be it's got to <laughs> be a good business plan. So, no, I just um, I wanted something. You know, I had friends out in Colorado, and I was visiting them. I was at a summit, and uh, it was the first coffee. I just thought it was so unique, and I I've always wanted to have a coffee shop like for a long time. And the opportunity came where like Onshore Drive, which is where American Brew is located, the like the only coffee shop, which was Starbucks, which mm. isn't anything special because you can go anywhere in the world and go to a Starbucks. The only coffee shop along this area closed down. And I was like, wow, I just like the area. I was selfishly in the beginning. It was like, I would like a coffee shop in my area so I could get good coffee and I could go somewhere and like work and, you know, do whatever I need to do. And, uh, and then I was like, well, I didn't understand like logically how coffee could make enough money to like pay rent and to pay like overhead or whatever you have right. for margin wise speaking. And so I was like, but you can make some dollars off of whiskey or alcohol. Yeah. So I was like, I'll just have a coffee whiskey bar. Yeah. And, and you've been pretty public about the fact that you're, you're going harder and heavier into understanding the business model of coffee and like just kind yeah. of the roasting process. And, and I know you've 
spoke about on the podcast, but even to me about like, you know, buying a roastery and understanding it and having your own, you know, uh, coffee bean line come out. But have you thought about doing the same now to the next part of it and studying whiskey and bourbon and scotch a little bit more? I would love that, but I just like, it seems a lot easier to roast coffee beans. Like opening up a distillery, it seems like, I mean, the machines and the equipment's like massive. I just, I look at these, uh, like these restaurants and like the, the, or not restaurants, the, the breweries and stuff that are, or the distilleries that are, um, coming out with like these whiskeys and bourbons. And I mean, it's just like a, it's like a huge ordeal. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe in the future. Yes. I would love, yes. In the future, I would love to be able to have my own whiskey line. That would be so cool. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm a little uneducated, but I feel like Joe Schmo is making beer out of their garage these days. Like it's becoming that common with beer. Right. So, I can't imagine that maybe bourbon, whiskey, and scotch and that efficiency or process mm-hmm. is going to be too far behind. But I don't know. I have to bear to believe if American Brew all of a sudden ventures back into the parking lot behind there <laughs> and you got big barrels and tubs. Like yeah. this place. It could is, happen. That could happen. My interest are like, just my genuine interest is into learning how to roast the coffee beans first. Okay. And then maybe the bourbon. First steps, baby steps. Baby steps. We it got, just seems easier. It, it seems easier to learn how to do like to roast the coffee beans than it does to, I don't know. Well, we have to crawl before we run for 40 hours to raise money for an <laughs> that's orphanage. True. So that, that's totally fair. That is true. But that'd be so cool. I would, I'd love to have my own whiskey line. Totally. Well, then I have to come a, up with a name. If only you had an agent that I know. really was interested in the exact a same creative, thing. A creative, a creative agent. Hey, well, cheers, cheers. to uh, possibly bourbon in the future, coffee beans, all of it. D all the above. All of the above. So, we left off on the last episode talking about your time in Guam. And the the one main question I asked you was, you know, in its midst of kind of a, of a organized, we'll call it an organized chaos, although I'm sure it felt very unorganized in some times, where you were just all systems go, working between two military bases, training, mm-hmm. probably still doing personal training, you know, with other people, you're playing soccer as like your outlet that became a little bit more of a competitive thing, albeit still being co-parenting and being a mom. Was there this moment where you had this awakening where you were just kind of like, what about me? What's Mm -hmm. next? What do I really want? And you alluded to that there were some decisions that were made in Guam in the four years that you were there, albeit some good, but also some that defined you very specifically left with a very impactful statement saying that Guam is what defined Ashley Horner as to who she is today. And I found that very, very interesting. So maybe let's pick up there and kind of speak to, you know, kind of some of those decisions that we left as a cliffhanger in the last mm-hmm. last episode. Yeah. I mean, I was, um, you know, I, I was born again in Guam and I, uh, I found myself in Guam. Um, Guam will always have a special place in my heart. And Um, Guam is just such a, just even like the beauty of Guam. If you gave me an option to either go to Hawaii or Guam, I would, I would pick Guam in a heartbeat. I think there's so much, uh, on uncharted waters there, so much just territory there that it's like, it's not overpopulated like it is. And, and, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Like Hawaii is gorgeous, but, um, uh, you know, whenever I was in Guam, it was, um, I just felt so alive. And the places that I was able to explore and, and, um, some of the journeys that I was able to just go on. And I, I did, have I told you a story about whenever I went cave diving before? So I did, I went cave diving in Guam. The only time I've ever done cave diving, I'll never do it again. Um, 
but yeah, I almost, uh, that was, that was like pretty crazy. I went down this, like into the jungle, lifted up like a, this drainage, uh, it was like, I don't know where fresh water could like run off into. Cause it was a, it was a freshwater cave. Okay. And, uh, I went with this guy that like I had just met and, um, like I was still trying to like make friends or whatever. And uh, I like, didn't know anybody to text anybody like where I was going or what I was doing. I had a helmet and like a Kim light and we were wandering down into the cave and uh, he just, he had been down there, I think like one other time, mm-hmm. um, but we were in like a, a restricted area. Like we weren't even supposed to be back there. Like we parked our car in the jungle and then we had to walk like, I don't know, so far, like maybe half a mile to get to this, literally a drainage ditch in the middle of the jungle. It was the most bizarre thing. And we were um, just waiting in the back of this cave. And then the waters just kind of kept coming up higher and higher as we were kind of just like going back into the cave. And then we came to like the cliff of the cave where it looked like the the cave just ended. There was like stalactite hanging down. Um, And he was like, you know, he said, if you hold your breath and grab the rope, there was like a rope underneath that like pulled you underneath the cave. He was like, if you, um, if you grab the rope, He said, I'm going to go first. I'm going to grab the rope. I'm going to go underwater. And if you pull on the rope, it'll pull you underneath this massive rock, like a boulder that's overhanging. So you're completely submerged under the water and blow out the air really slowly, count to 10. And by the time you get to 10, you should be to the other side. And I was like, okay. And you know, like I didn't know this person very well. So I was like, okay, like, you know, I don't want to be like rude or anything. And uh, so he's like, I'm going to go first. I was like, okay. And uh, sure enough, he like took a deep breath in. He, you have to like dive underwater to grab this rope. It's like, you know, like a rope climbing rope. That was like the thickness of like this rope. Yeah. And pulled himself underneath. And I'm over on the other side. I'm counting. I'm like, okay, one two, three. And I, I never heard my name because he said whenever he would get to the other side, he would call my name. Like I never heard my name. I got to 10 and I was like 12, 13. And I was like, like, holy shit. Like he, he's, he's dead. He's gotta be dead. Like I didn't hear my name. I like hollered out, like nobody was around. And like at that moment, dude, that was so scary. Cause I like every part of me like wanted to run away because I was like, like, I, you know, I, I can't go under there. Like, I don't know where I'm going. He had only, he had never done the rope part, but he had been down in the cave and, um, and it was basically an untouched cave. Like, I think there was maybe a couple people in there before us. And so, you know what? I like, this guy's like probably either dead or he's dying and I got to go see like what's wrong. So I took a deep breath in and I held my breath and I dove down under the water. I grabbed the rope and I started pulling myself. And I, all I had was, a a little Kim light attached to the top of my helmet and then just like a a hard helmet. And, um, and it was like getting cold in there too. It was cold. Like the waters were cold and the deeper you dove, like the colder it got. And I was like breathing out, like really slowly, like one, like breathing out the air and trying to stay calm. And then, um, I got to 10, I swear to you, I was like 11 and I felt this hand grab me underneath the rock pitch black. Can't see anything. And he pulled me underneath like a bucket size gap in the rock where you could breathe. You could like stick your head up barely and, uh, you're treading water the whole time. And he was like, he was like, Oh, you made it. And I was like, I was like, I'd never heard your name. Or I was like, I never heard you like yell at me. And he's like, he was like, yeah, I guess the rock was just, it goes so far deep underneath. Like you can't, you couldn't hear anything. Dude. At at what point (laughs) do you just think, Hmm, 
I'm pulling up to this cave with this person I don't know very I know, well. Dude, it was and so then stupid. I'm going deeper and deeper into this jungle that yeah. looks more rural and dangerous. Oh, I'm going to go underwater and I submerge know. myself with somebody who I don't know in the middle of the jungle. Yeah. Like, what? I'm sorry, kids. Turn this off. What the fuck were you thinking? I know. Like, it wasn't a smart decision. Um, I think like, I don't know. I was like, if you if, talking about like my childhood, like I never had. I don't want to say adventure because I was, you know, I had a great childhood growing up, but like I had never, I don't even think I flew on an airplane until, um, like later on in my life, probably like a year before I was out in Guam, I never even flew on an airplane. Like I never had any like life, life adventures. I never had any life experiences. And this was at this point I was, I think I was like 24, maybe 20, 25, 26. Um, so like mid twenties, um, you know, Trip and Cash were really young, but yeah, I remember, um, I mean, he, he ended up being like a really good friend of mine, but, um, at the time, like I, it was, it was really stupid. And, um, I just, I remember like every part of me, like wanted to run in that situation. And then I was like, I like, where would I even go? Like, I wouldn't even know how to get out of the cave, right. let alone like through the jungle and find the truck, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? And then like, how would I get out? Like, I didn't, I don't know anything in, in Guam or anybody. And so, um, yeah, that was a, I vouched, I definitely had kind of like a, like, what, what the hell are you doing, Ashley? Like you have kids at home and like, that was really dangerous and it was really irresponsible, um, for just like trusting somebody that you don't even know, um, to go like dive down a cave. Uh, but it was, it was beautiful. Like I look back, I have some like great memories. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, I, I think it goes to kind of the greater story, right? Like you, in the previous episode, you talked a lot about, you know, there was this, you know, albeit we don't want to call it sheltered. You were, you know, very much in your bubble in Oklahoma, right? Like there were experiences to life that you didn't necessarily see the same way other people saw at that point in your life. And going to Guam, you know, and and having, you know, again, that situation with your ex-husband, you know, albeit even though he's there, you're still you're on an island, no pun intended, (laughs) by yourself. You know, like, you know, you have your two young boys, but it's there's there's loneliness that that gets to a certain point of you you're you're looking for people to to mend with to mm-hmm. to, to converse with to socialize mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. and you know you kind of get very vulnerable and desperate in times where you don't even realize it mm-hmm. and i think even to this day we all are that way right mm-hmm. like we don't even realize that the essence of human communication and empathy and mm-hmm. and true emotions like somebody probably doesn't want to hear our life stories but albeit after two cocktails at a bar on a Monday night, maybe you're probably going to open up more Mm -hmm. to the guy next to you than you probably should. Albeit, you know, same situation in Guam, you're eager for friends. Mm -hmm. You know, you're kind of feeling that, that loneliness and that ability. So you take risks and, Mm -hmm. you know, talk to me just a little bit more like, you know, again, as you're trying to make friends and stuff like that, like, did you find yourself, you know, kind of discovering that you were in more of this risk taking adventure, you know, part of your life where you more like open to just new foods, new conversations, new things? Was that like all be kind of becoming, you know, yeah, to you at that so moment? It's interesting because, um, you know, whenever, whenever I separated like with, um, with my husband at the time, I, it was like, I, I definitely had something to prove. And that was my mindset that I had to, you know, he, he gave me an ultimatum and I said, you know, he said, you can either choose fitness or you can choose me. And I, you know, had this mindset of like, okay, watch me, like watch me prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, my, my years up until like, maybe like the, like the, well, probably like 
my entire time at Guam. Like I just worked all the time. Like I never, and I'm so thankful for this because there's a big party scene like out in Guam. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I mean, I think I went out like a couple times, but I worked all the time. I remember, um, I got with a really, really talented young photographer in Guam and she did a lot of amazing photos. Um, I, I don't know where, she is at now. But, um, I mean, at the time she was just starting in her photography. Um, and so that is when my modeling career, I felt like kind of kicked off. And I remember, um, I would look up, you know, like the magazines and they have like the editor, like the, like they have like an index where like you could contact mm -hmm. like the editors and like, I, I can't tell you, I mean, even, even, uh, like sunglass ads, I would take the pictures that this girl took of me. And, um, I want to say her name's like Brianna or I can't remember her name. It was so long ago. I'm sorry, girl. <laughs> um, but I would take these pictures and I would just submit them. I would open up, I would get all kinds of magazines, like fitness magazines. I would get like lifestyle magazines and I would just submit my, my photos, like as like being a fitness model, like to these, to like these magazines. And, um, at the time there was only Facebook or like Instagram, Instagram had not, it has not came alive yet. It was only Facebook. Yeah. So, um, a little bit like through Facebook, but, um, my, my modeling career and like everything, that's when I realized like, I like, that was the first time that pictures and stuff like had really ever kind of been like taken of me. Mm -hmm. And I just loved it. I loved working the camera. Um, and I, like, I, I was really good at it naturally. I was really good. Mm. Um, so that's kind of like when I just started, um, chasing after I was like, I really want to, I want to, I want to do this. Like, I want to be like in the, the modeling industry and, and I was still training, training people at the military bases. And so I worked a lot in Guam. I, I definitely had like a, this focus of like who I wanted to be. And I, I wasn't really sure how I was going to get there, but I knew that one, I wanted to change and impact lives. And two, I wanted to uh, prove somebody wrong and uh, selfishly, well, maybe not selfishly, but make it, make a name for myself and, and, and to prove everybody like, you know, that I can't like that I could. And I mean, even like, I, I think that, you know, we talk about like the journey and how it can be like a lon lonely journey at the time. I remember whenever I was going through all this, like even my mom was like, what the hell are you doing? Like you really like, wow. you know, like you're like, you know, because like the chances, the chances and the odds, like, you know, a small town girl from Oklahoma, literally I had the opportunity to be super set for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. married to a doctor. And like, I had it, I had it good. Like I had it like made out for me. And you know, even my mom was like, like, what are you doing? And you know, whenever I met him, like my father, had just died or he, I think he had just gotten sick. And so he was literally my first, everything, my first boyfriend, like my first everything. And, um, it kind of goes back to like, just not having a whole lot of experiences in life. I just, I probably, cause I, I lost my dad. Mm -hmm. Like I just really like latched onto him as well. And, um, I mean, he's awesome. He's, you know, he's, he's in the boys lives. Um, and everything happens for a reason. And when we get along great now, I think that we just kind of, we kind of laugh a little bit. Um, about, you know, the past and everything, everything happens for a reason. Uh, it was a really hard time in my life, but, um, so yeah, that was kind of like me transitioning, realizing that like, okay, like I wanted to be a trainer and I wanted, I wanted to do modeling. I wanted to do something. Yeah. So, so you chase after that. Yeah. So you, you kind of found this crossroads where you were like, okay, modeling, fashion, uh -huh. looks, image, 
I could do this. Right. Right. And you know, then the other side of it is like, okay, maybe I don't want to be doing ball gown, glitzy, glamorous shoots. Uh, then were you like, how do I kind of intertwine my passions for yeah, fitness? That, that was really interesting. Cause, um, I was shooting a, uh, I wish this was when I would come back to California every once in a while to mm -hmm. do like either a fitness thing or something. I'd fly back to California more up in like the LA, like long beach area. Right. And I was shooting a test cover for oxygen magazine. And I remember, um, I had like, a, I just had like a half sleeve, I think at that time. And I remember like they covered it up, they wanted it covered up or whatever. Um, then they would do the rest like post edit. And I remember they were like, just look like, you know, just be bubbly, be like a cheerleader, like bubbly. And I remember I was like, I was like trying to be like this super bubbly cover model and to fit into like this square of like what I thought and like the persona at the time mm -hmm. of what a fitness model was supposed to do, be and like act like. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget like that photo shoot specifically because I was like, I am so uncomfortable right now. Like this mm. is, I'm not bubbly and cute. Like I, I think all along, especially kind of going through the, um, like this time period of like me, like finding my way. I like, I have grit about me. I have like this, uh, I like, I have something, I have something that's different or I had something that was different than, than like what a standard like fitness model was. And I was really trying to find what that was and, and define that because I wanted to be a model. I wanted to be a fitness model, but then like, it just, it didn't feel what I, what I thought it would feel like to be, to be like a bona fide fitness model. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think again, when you, when you look at a mold, right. In a situation when you're trying to do something, there's, there's a level of comfort and discomfort mm -hmm. and you always have to make a decision. How much discomfort are you comfortable with ultimately, or how much are you willing to give in with discomfort before you think that and can accept that, you know, this is how it is supposed to be. I'm noticing the change. I'm, you know, I'm conforming to the norm in your situation and for individuals that like you have these rare attributes, it's oftentimes a little bit more challenging because there is this self-awareness factor that you can bring different elements and facets to the table. Unlike what the oxygen cover model typically could, right? right. Like what those producers and what those creative di directors can normally want. It was it in that moment that you were kind of were like, you know, like you mentioned, you had half a sleeve at that point you know, you were kind of like right teetering on that balance. Like, ah, you know, like I, this is who I think I am mm -hmm. versus this is what the world wants me to mm -hmm. be. Mm -hmm. At what point were you just like, fuck it. This is me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going all in. Like, I don't care about what anyone says and either take it or leave it. Mm -hmm. I think it, it took a long time for that to evolve. I think it took like yeah. a couple of years for that to actually kind of evolve and, and to come out. I am um, like, while I was in Guam, I really struggled still. Like, um, even whenever I was in Oklahoma, like I struggled, um, I struggled financially, uh, to take care of the boys and to pay rent and mm -hmm. same thing in Guam. Like I thought that Guam was going to be like easy and a, and a piece of cake, but I mean, living in Guam, if you're not associated like with like in the military or like with the government, um, it, it was really expensive to live in Guam. And I mean, there were, 
more than like probably five times that I would, we would get like our electricity and stuff turned off just because I couldn't pay the rent. Like I was desperately, desperately trying to, um, juggle both. And, um, you know, and at the time, you know, and still like everything, everything is fine, but like I wasn't getting any help, but the help that I was getting was very, very little. And, um, you know, there was one time, um, whenever I, I went to go, uh, pick up the kids from their, from their dad's house. And I asked him, I think he was just giving me like maybe a couple hundred bucks a month, like Mm -hmm. for the kids. And, uh, you know, I was like, can I, uh, can I have, can I have like my money a little bit earlier this month or, you know, for the next month. And he, I will never forget this. And I actually think Tripp remembers this. Um, he started yelling at me, like, you need to know what it's like to fail. You need to fail once in your life. And, um, dude, I will never forget that moment. And then I started crying because I'm like, don't talk to me like that in front of the boys. And, um, I got the boys, I was either dropping them off or picking them up. I don't remember, but, uh, I drove all the way down to the gym and, and I just, I cried, I cried the entire way. And I will never forget that training session. I will never forget like the fire that was in me and like just how I felt. It was like, I was filled with like so much rage, but I was also filled with so much determination that like, no matter the cost and no matter the sacrifice, like I was going to achieve what it was that I set out to achieve. That's absolutely insane, Yeah, but it is, but it, but it's, it's humbling, right? In so many ways. I I think (laughs) I, I want to hopefully understand, like hopefully the listeners can understand and relate to this in some capacity, regardless of wherever you are in your life, we all have our aha moments. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, I think for me as, as a business owner, me as a husband, me as a soon to be father, I am still discovering my aha moments. Mm -hmm. Some, it comes with a little bit more blunt force trauma than, than others with, you know, others, you know, it can come in different stages and episodes that, that really help define us and make us who we are. But to the point of what you just said, like that moment and that, you know, again, doesn't sound like, and I'm sure you'll tell me if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem like there's any resentment there. If anything, there's gratitude, mm-hmm. you know, for oh, that yeah. moment. Right. Yeah. That it had to happen because like, I think that, um, you know, and I'm sure like, you know, maybe, maybe he just had a bad day or, you know, I, like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't blame you. I have zero resentment for like what he said or, you know, the, the hardships that we went through or whatever. But, um, I mean, because of those moments, that's what, that's what I'm saying. And this is like for all the listeners is like the, the moments that you guys go through and it's like, it, you, you just feel like that you're literally at rock bottom, which we talk about this a lot throughout all of our shows. Like if that, if that, that was a defining moment for me, hands down, that was a defining moment. If he would not have said those words to me, if he would not have acted like that. Um, I mean, like, I like to think that I would still be on the journey and the path that I'm on today, but it's, 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 it's hard. It's hard to say, like, you know, um, things like that push us to the edge. And I think that you have to be willing to like, hang on whenever Mm -hmm. you're on the edge like that. Yeah. You have to, you have to talk to me and tell the listeners a little bit about life transitioning after Guam. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I'm looking at almost the way I'm in, I'm playing this book out in my head. It's, it's quite comical, you know, cause it's, it's so climatic and, and even how much, how, how well okay. I know you. Yeah. Okay. But, okay. So but, th- there is a, there is a piece, there is a piece of like my time in Guam that I, that I never talk about. And a lot of the reasons why, like, I think like social media and like even podcasting is kind of weird, right? Because I feel like every individual and human is, um, deserving of some sort of like privacy and like not only, um, privacy, uh, like for myself, but like privacy for like my kids and like everybody who's been involved in my life. But again, I look at every, like now I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful that everything that has happened to me, um, has hap- has happened. Um, you know, same thing with, uh, you know, the boy's father, like he is married. They have the cutest little boy. Um, you know, Otto thinks that he's his brother too. And so it's like, you know, everything is awesome. And, um, so I think that, I don't know, like the psychology of like who I am, you know, it probably kind of stems back to just the things that we go through in our childhood. Um, but like all throughout Guam, I just, um, I struggled and I, I never asked for help except for that one time that I asked the boy's dad for like, uh, a little extra or like a little sooner or whatever that I could, you know, probably help pay for something. Cause it was just impossible. It was so hard to live there and, um, to do the training and to pay the rent and everything, um, being a contracted trainer. Um, so it's like, I just feel like, you know, whenever, whenever you're walking down the road and you see a hole and you fall in it, it's like, okay, like maybe next time, like I, like I won't fall in that same hole again. And it's like, okay, walking down the hole, walking down the road and then you fall in the same hole. Like you're basically <laughs> a dumbass, you know? So, <laughs> so, um, and you know, I, you know, what I, what I'm about to say is just like, um, I think it's a, I, I feel like I have like a huge, a huge heart for others. And, um, to make like a long, hard thing to say that like, I've never said before is like, I actually, um, met a guy again and I knew him like a pretty short time. Um, maybe I knew him for like, maybe like six months or so. Anyways, I ended up like getting married, just kind of like spur of the moment got married. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was, uh, set to leave out of Guam. He was moving. Uh, I don't even know where he was moving to. And so, um, it was like, I don't know, this is just kind of crazy, but, um, he would only allow me to take one of the boys with me. So one had to stay back in Guam and he was like, we can only take one son. Like, which one are you going to pick? And he kind of had a favorite. His favorite was like the middle one, I guess, cash. Yeah. And he was like, look, we're going to move back. Um, where did we move back to somewhere in like, it was like countryside, California, somewhere, somewhere like not like coast side. Right. And so I took cash with me, but it was under the promise and the understanding that I would be able to fly back every six months to Guam with cash to see my other boy, which, you know, was trip. Yep. And that was, uh, I think it was maybe even like more than six months. It was like every three months. Like that was like the agreement, the understanding. Well, you know, we got, to California. And at this time, just so you guys understand the timeline at this time, I had just put out my very first training program called becoming extraordinary during this whole transition period. So I agreed to move back to California. It was like countryside, California somewhere. And I only took one boy with me and like under the understanding and the promise, I mean, I, like, I can't tell you first of all, like the amount of like heartache that it was like to leave one there. But I was like, you know what, this will, this will be fine. I don't even understand. I think, I don't want to say like I was brainwashed at the time, but, um, you know, getting into that relationship, I, it was, 
I felt like I was doing something for my boys because I was still really, really struggling and Mm -hmm. getting into that relationship. I felt like it was a safety net that I would have somebody again. It was like basically doing the same thing that I had done the first time. Right. And, um, that I had that safety net of like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's gonna be okay with my boys. Like, um, because I was trying so hard to like make, make ends meet. And sure enough, we got to California and it was like, it was time for me to go back to Guam. Like after we had been there for like a month or two, like I just, my heart was aching and I really missed, you know, my, my older son and he wouldn't let me go. He wouldn't let me go. And, um, that just turned into like a really bad, uh, basically it's just so crazy. I don't know. Like the same thing, like I make all the money here. You can't even buy your plane ticket back to Guam. You, you know, I bought this kitchen stuff. You didn't pay for shit. This is my house. And, uh, I remember he like, he basically told me to get out of his house where he was like calling the cops and, um, that I couldn't go, like, I couldn't go back to Guam. And, um, like, what, what do you think I did? (laughs) (laughs) You better have gotten your ass back to Guam. I went back to Guam. Yeah. I packed nothing but a suitcase for, uh, I packed a suitcase for cash and I, and, um, I, at the time I had just started my first training per, like I just, I had a PayPal account that people were sending money to. That was, that was actually rightfully mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was my first program called becoming extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, you know, there was like maybe like a couple thousand dollars in there. There wasn't a whole lot. Right. Um, but I got the hell out of Dodge. I packed my bag, one suitcase with with Cash and I, and we flew back to Guam. And I lived in um, this tiny one bedroom. It was like a house of a friend. And it was like this one bedroom that I had um, mm-hmm. and I had a bathroom, but like it didn't even have like a window or anything. I just like lived in this room, didn't even, I think I, I definitely paid some rent, but it wasn't, you know, it was more manageable than like what I was having to do before. And, uh, and I started my life over again, back in Guam, back in Guam, back in Guam. And, um, I mean, it was so bad to where like my brother even like threatened to come out to that place because I mean, you know, that, that was like the sad part and, and, and moving, we're wanting to transition to like going back to California. So from that time I stayed in Guam for probably like another year, maybe a year and a half. And then I, you know, everything was starting to kick off like my fitness career, um, the modeling that I was doing. And so I was like, it's time for me to move back to California. I didn't want to go to LA. I didn't want to go to Northern California. So I, I wanted to go back to San Diego or go to San Diego. I had never been there before. Mm -hmm. Um, so that is kind of like how I ended up transitioning. I went back to Guam a second time. Well, let's just, let's take it step by step. So we'll call it Cali round two. I know that was like a lot of information that I just put out there. So <laughs> no, but it's, it, it's a testament to your humility, Ashley. And yeah. you know, for the, for the listeners that tune in every single week, there is, there is a true reason why people follow you, why so many individuals across not only just the U S but the world yeah. like confide well, he, in you. you. Know, he, he just wanted me to quit too. He wanted me to give up. Like he basically wanted to be in control of everything. He wanted me to yeah. give up like everything. Like I had just started, like I just, put my training program out there. And it was like, he wanted me to be dependent on him. It was, it was almost like a, like a cookie cutter recipe of like, you know, what happened before with like, you know, tripping cash's dad. And I think I was like, my heart and soul was, was set on like the path of like becoming who I wanted to become. Yeah. And go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say that. So, I mean, you, you've always had this knack for independence. It seems that it seems that way. Like you've always, 
at least knowingly or unknowingly in, in certain moments of your life, you knew deep down what you could be. And it took moments that pushed you to the edge Mm -hmm. to ultimately take those leaps of faith. Mm -hmm. And for a small town girl from Oklahoma that again, going back to it was a little bit sheltered, taking some of the risks and being put in the situations that you were in, in your life, Ashley Mm -hmm. is very much sink or swim. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like going under a rock in a freaking cave in the middle of the jungle in Guam. Like it's so crazy. It is. I mean, it's very much, you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect example. So it's interesting. Whenever I got back to Guam the second time, we'll say Guam round two, right? I, um, I put out my first program becoming extraordinary and it was easy for me to kind of gauge like how much money I needed to make in order to like pay my car payment. Um, Oh, I, I think I, whenever I moved out there the second time I, I bought, it's called a Guam bomb. It's like a car. It's like a (laughs) junk car. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about that. Um, And uh, I paid cash for a car. I think it was $2,000 that I paid cash for a car. And um, I put out my first training program. And really, you talk about, like, focused. Like, the only thing I did there was I trained. I used – and whatever I talk about, like, like – I was reborn in in Guam. Like I just used everything that Guam had to offer to train. That's what I did. And, um, I started making like a little bit of money and I remember I was able to buy myself my first, uh, laptop computer. And, uh, I went over to pick up the boys one day and the, the really sad part about this, which, you know, it was okay because my relationship, although like some hurtful things were exchanged, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the boy's dad, my relationship with him was, was fine. The co-parenting was fine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I went over there to pick up the boys because the boys actually couldn't stay with me. They couldn't, I couldn't ever have the boys. I could go see them during the day. I could take them during the day, but um, I didn't have a bed or anything. Like I was literally living out of a suitcase in like this like tiny room. And, um, and I, you know, I finally had enough money to get a computer. And I remember he, you know, he looked at me, he was like, I hope you didn't go to one of those advanced cash paychecks and just cash your paycheck early and advanced. I remember like kind of being like, like laughing. I didn't answer him, but I just laughed. I was like, Oh, okay. Because I had made that money. I had earned that money, um, enough money to buy myself like a laptop. Um, so yeah, that was just kind of, you know, and right after becoming extraordinary, and then I created the, uh, the second program, which was magnify you. I love it. I love it. So as you're coming up on the second program, Ashley, this is California round two, you're, you're leaving Guam round two and you're coming back to California. Is that correct? Um, yeah. So I was in Guam. I was in Guam and then I was there. So, so really quick before we, before we transition, right? Like I, um, you know, this, the guy in California, he was like, no, you can't go. You can't go. And I was like, I'm going, like I had a little bit of money that was in my PayPal account. I used that money to to purchase my plane ticket. So whenever I, whenever I got to Guam, right. I, um, had cash and then I also had trip. Um, we went through the McDonald's drive-thru and all of he cut me off of everything just like that. Um, he took me off of all the bank accounts. He, you know, took me off like the debit card, which is probably fine. Cause I probably like, you know, but, um, but yeah, I literally had absolutely nothing except yeah. for like the very little that I had, like in my PayPal account. Um, so after being in, uh, Guam for the second time, I eventually relocated back with my boys, relocated back to, to California. One, I, I want you to try and put this and consolidate it into one sentence. Why? Why did you go back to California of all places? 
Well, I wasn't anywhere near California is a huge state. Andrew. Well, no. Oh, yeah. Well, why did you go back to Southern California? Like why, um, why of all the places, you know, I, again, you probably at least had a relationship, a good enough relationship with your brother, wherever he was at that time, your mom, you know, is still probably back in Oklahoma. What drove yeah, you but to see, California? Like, I, I didn't have a relationship with my mom. I didn't have a relationship with my, with my brother. I Interesting. mean, everything that happened like over the course of this time, you know, my father had just died. I, I'm not even sure if they got, Easy Spuds was my dad's French fry factory. Okay. We should have talked about this in the last episode. That's an epic, <laughs> yeah, epic name. Yeah, okay. Easy Spuds. But like, you know, they were still going through everything that they were going through. So I was just kind of like this, like loose haywire. Like even, you know, that was probably like, you know, three years later. Um, like I, I was, I had my mindset. I really wanted to do modeling. And so I thought that in order to be a model, like I needed to be up in, LA. I think I had like at that, at that moment I had probably had, um, maybe like a corner cover of like some magazines, maybe some like fitness magazine inserts. Mm -hmm. Um, but I really wanted to get into just like the fitness modeling. I thought that, you know, that would be successful and that's what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to live in LA because of like the countryside of who I am, but I needed to be somewhere where I could easily be able to commute from LA to like, or to get to LA. So, I don't know. I just picked San Diego. Yeah. Yeah. I want to keep this conversation going, but as, as this continues to go and unfold, there's so many, so many great antidotes that, that we can pull apart here. There's so many things that I'm learning and I know there's so many things that your listeners are probably learning as well. California being the next chapter here, or we'll call it California round two. Um, at least from where I stand, really opened up that world of fitness and opportunity for you. Yeah. And I think coming up on next week's episode, I really want to dive in. And I think it's an ample opportunity to sit down and really understand what and how Ashley Klein and Ashley Horner really evolved to be the powerhouse in the fitness industry that she was today. Mm -hmm. So we'll pause today, but I very much appreciate your vulnerability. Mm -hmm. I speak for not only myself as your agent and manager, but as your friend, <laughs> He's I know like, you're fired. Yeah, you're fired. You're done. But I, I know that this isn't easy. And I know that, you know, again, there's something about podcasting that is ultimately like therapy and it's a legacy that you're leaving behind when you go through this. So I'm excited to continue the dialogue with you next week though. Yeah. Um, I will, I will end and we'll close it on this. So whenever I first got to Guam and I was trying to figure out who Ashley Horner was, what I wanted to do and who I wanted to become, there's this video vlog of, I think it was probably one of the first vlogs that I put out. It's out there on YouTube. Um, and I said, if I could change one life, then my job is done. If I could save one life, then my job is done. That's all, that's all from the moment I started, from the moment I sat in that counseling office and I was given the ultimatum of if I wanted to take the safe route or if I wanted to <laughs> bear the unknown. And I, I took that chance and I took that. That has been what has defined me even today, 10, 15 years later. I want to stop the conversation on that note today because there is nothing else that can be said. So tune in next week. We'll dive in a little bit more to the next chapter. 
You're I'm taking ex- me real deep, Andrew. I'm t- I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> you and are. I think I think the next few chapters are going to be a little bit more fun, though. Yeah. Um, you know, a little bit more animated, and you know, brings us to more recent days. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm excited and you know thrilled and, and quite honestly honored to to kind of go down this magic carpet ride with you. So it's, <laughs> it is uh, a ride. I know. Well, We're, thank you guys so much for joining us on the Reborn Podcast. My name is Ashley Horner, and I'm here with my good friend Andrew Stallings. Um, catch us next week to hear the third part of this crazy journey of opening up and learning about all of the threads that make Ashley Horner who she is today. Uh, Make sure you leave a comment, like, review, and uh, see you next time on the Ironclad Network with the Reborn Podcast. Peace out. Mm -hmm.